Welcome to the podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm very excited because today we have on the podcast uh, a good friend of mine, fellow writer, a colleague in literature, as well as a comrade at arms in ministry, Eric Raymond, who is the senior pastor at Redeemer Fellowship Church in Metro Boston. He's married to Christy. They have six kids. Eric writes for a lot of publications, including the Gospel Coalition, Ligonier, and others. And he's the author of books like Is Hell for Real and Chasing Contentment, as well as a new book that's coming out this year that I'm pretty excited about. But today we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about his story and about uh, New England as a missional frontier in the United States. Brothers, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Jared. Thank you. It's good to be with you. This feels really belated. I feel like we should have had, I don't think we've had you on before. And that's really a shame because, you know, we've tried before. And um, so I apologize that it took us a hundred some episodes to get you on the program. No, it's great. I enjoy the podcast and it's good to be with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it was great connecting with you. Um, you know, we connected even before, um, you know, I moved to the Midwest. Uh, you're from the New England area, uh, but you were pastoring in the Midwest in in uh, in Nebraska when I first met you. And I was in New England, and now we've sort of flip-flopped. <laughs> yeah. I, I moved to Missouri, and you moved back to uh, New England. But we've always had this sort of uh, mutual affinity. You, of course, as a as a homer, and me as a as a as a transplant for uh, a season of ministry for New England. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, I just wonder if you could introduce yourself a little bit to our readers. You you have a really, I think, compelling testimony, a really interesting, I guess I should say, story. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing just about, um, yeah, just kind of your your personal history, your testimony, uh, coming to faith and so on. Sure. Yeah. Just as far as that family, um, you mentioned earlier, my, my wife and I, my wife, Christy, we've been married coming up on 27 years and we have six kids and one grandchild, which is oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, very, very sweet little girl. Uh, so yeah, I, as you said, I grew up in Massachusetts and, um, just a, you know, Massachusetts family. That was a Roman Catholic family went to mass every single week. I remember since being a kid and served as an altar boy doing all the typical stereotypical Catholic <laughs> stuff in a, in a church. Uh, but it was really, I, I would say, largely secular in my home and in our experience. It was more like a nationality than any type of religious experience. We just did it because that's what we did. And so I didn't know anything about the Bible. In fact, I remember one time I was um, downtown Boston and someone handed me a, a Bible and I didn't know what to do with it. I couldn't bring myself to throw it away. And I put it in my bag and I brought it home and I told my mother, I said, hey, I got to hand it this today. What do you think? And she told me to get rid of it. I mean, it's like it was like we don't, we don't, we're not going to do that. And it was just a strange, you know. I just like that's what that was kind of the reflex. Um, so grew up in not really knowing who God is, and um, you know, in any way following Him. So um, you know, far from God, and you know, get into trouble and whatever, and you got to try to figure out how to make something in your life. And so I figured a good opportunity would be to to join the military. And so, you know, I go to school and 
have some stability. So I joined the military out of high school and um, went to Texas for basic training in the Air Force. And shortly after that, I met my um, soon-to-be wife, who was from uh, Tennessee, who uh, was not a Christian either. Uh, so we get married, fall in love, wonderful young newlyweds, and we get stationed in Omaha, Nebraska. And that's where the Air Force put us both so we could both do our job. And, you know, it was a couple of years into being there in Omaha and just kind of grappling with life and, you know, past choices of how I've lived and just kind of grappling with uh, a conscience, which I think for the first time was awakened. Mm. And at that time, um, I, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, very overly distressed and I would say depressed and um, thought that the way to do this is just, just to say there is no God and uh, I hate God and I would turn away from him. And I just I couldn't do that. So I started going back to the Catholic church. My wife and I would go, uh, she actually became Catholic and we're like kind of this religious awakening there. And it was, it was not going to happen. Um, I, it just angered me, made me more frustrated. I just spiraled into finally, I, there was this guy I worked with who's uh, just a, like a, a Bible guy, him and the other guy, they just, I just remember they would walk around and they were always, you know, in my mind, they were always talking about the Lord. You know, whatever <laughs> that meant. And uh, so I go up to this guy one day and I say, Hey, you need to tell me about your God. I was really depressed. And he looked at me, his eyes like saucers. And he said, okay, let's talk. And every question I asked the guy, his answer was either sin or Jesus. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, the clarity of the guy just opening the Bible and showing me in the scriptures my need for a savior. And uh, I that day, I was broken over my sin. And uh, I saw through the word of God and this faithful witness that Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. And uh, he would even have someone like me if I if I believed in him and, and followed him. And I just remember that day saying, you know, if, if this is true, he owes, he deserves everything. And I'm going to give him everything. And it just, it was just a 180 that day. I remember going home, telling my wife, you're never going to believe this. we got great news. And she thought we were going to go to Hawaii or something because we had tried to, we were trying to relocate out of Omaha. And uh, I said, no, Jesus Christ died for my sins. And she said, everybody knows that it's no big deal. And, and so I'm like chasing <laughs> her around the house, trying to evangelize her and tell her. And uh, by God's grace, she became a Christian a couple of years later. And, um, but that, that's the conversion. It was just, just very much um, the Lord brought conviction through circumstances heavily upon conscience and uh, led me to somebody that had the Bible and he shared the gospel and I became a Christian and then was resolved to serve him. Yeah. Now, did you, did you uh, leave Omaha at all between that time and pastoring a church there? No. So, okay. Yeah, so we were in the military and ended up getting out of the military because of, um, you know, just served the four years and didn't really want to be traveling all over the world, wanted to s settle down with our family. And at that point, I'm like, I want to I want to learn how to teach the Bible. That's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. We settled down in Omaha and stayed there for 20 years. And um, that was, you know, looking for opportunities to serve. I was, you know... Uh, a lot of heat, but not much light at that time. And so I'm you know, preaching in the jails and doing different things and eventually landed in a church where I did an internship. Then they hired me uh, after the three-year internship was over while I was working in a secular job, a uh, regular job. And uh, they hired me to be an assistant pastor. And then a couple years later, they uh, sent me out to plant a church in, in, in Omaha. 
And that's where we planted Emmaus Bible Church in 2011. Yeah, but your heart, I guess, began to be drawn back to the place of your upbringing. Isn't that right? Yeah. So, I mean, immediately upon conversion, it was just, you know, I'm kind of like the, you know, the demoniac and and Mach 5. And I'm thinking, you know, just the Lord said, you go home and tell your family, you know, what your relatives, all the great things the Lord has done for you. And I just, I was like, why doesn't anybody in my family know the gospel? Mm. Um, Who's been keeping this from us? And the more, more of my family I talked to, like nobody knew this. So it was just, I wanted to get back to Massachusetts and preach the gospel. And we tried several times. It just wasn't, you know, in God's providence, it wasn't to, to be at that time. Um, and we eventually resolved to be content to stay in Omaha where we were, great ministry opportunity. But the burden has always been for New England in general, but Massachusetts in particular. Yeah. So tell me about that. Tell me about coming, uh, you know, back home. Tell me about the church there in yeah. uh, Watertown, sort of what that ministry looks like now. Yeah, sure. So, you know, it was. A uh, good friend was a pastor up here in in Watertown, just a uh, border town of Boston. And I knew this brother; we'd been friends for years. And um, you know, he was relocating to another state, and the church was planted, was doing well. And you know, he approached me and just said, "You know, this might be a good opportunity for you. I know this has been your heart for years, and I think uh, having someone that's from the area would be good from a mission standpoint and a long term stability standpoint. So, would you consider it?" And, Talk to my elders, you know, I talked to my wife, of course, Christy and I talked through, pray through it, talked to our elders and uh, eventually the congregation and through, a, you know, a year plus process, uh, eventually the church decided and we decided that this was a, this was a, the right thing to do was to come up here and relocate with our family to Massachusetts to take pastoring Redeemer Fellowship Church. And so that's what we did in 2018. Uh, and it's gone, you know, really well by God's grace. Uh, the church is great, uh, very, you know, very blessed by the the elders and the congregation and the uh, the opportunity that we have here. Yeah, you know, from from my short time there, you know, one of the things that I learned, and um, you know, I pastored in Vermont, so one of the six New England states. I, I wonder if the two of us could just kind of get into a little bit about the missional opportunity there. Um, which I think is the way we have to talk about it. You know, in, in my short time there, one of the things that I learned was you, you ha- if, if you're coming from the outside, right? So I wasn't a native New Englander and I didn't have any background or experience in, in the region before I moved there. If you're coming from the outside, you have to think of it as, um, you know, as a mission, you know, as a missionary would. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because the New England states routinely uh, rank, you know, they steadily rank in, in, as as the least churched states in the nation. They have the highest concentration of um, of of the N O N E nuns. You know, those who identify as you know no religion at all in many areas um, like yours, I would imagine, and certainly where I was the last time there was a a dominant religious culture, although that was long since passed, it it was Roman Catholic. And so, you know, evangelical Protestantism, um, you know, you know, church culture is just long in the annals of history there. So you have to think about it as a, as a missionary that way, but also because the culture is so different from, um, 
you know, as, as you know, it is in, in every region, I guess, of the country, but f- for myself coming from the Bible Belt, um, having to, you know, get acclimated to the culture, I think, I think there's, there's folks who, who move to the area, not just for ministry, but for work and everything else. And they really struggle with the culture. So, you know, give us a sense of the landscape. I know, um, you know, it's difficult to talk about New England culture broadly because, you know, there are ways that we can do that, but there really is several New Englands, right? There's, you know, there's rural and urban and even different states have their own kind of personalities and different cultures. But give us a sense uh, from your perspective of New England culture broadly and then of your particular missional context there in the Boston Metro or, or maybe Massachusetts, mm-hmm. what, what's the culture like there? Yeah, I think uh, all of your observations, I think are right on. Um, so I think broadly, if you think of new England, you it's, it's hard to, to say new England is like this place in the yeah. United States. I just don't see, I don't see where you could take this area and say, it's kind of like, you know, whatever. It's just its own thing. It, it feels to me, um, I've been just about every state in the country, spent time in it, been to Europe. It feels a lot more like the UK in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so more, more of like secular, secular Europe. Uh, and that's regardless if you're in a, you know, an urban context or a rural context, I think, I think it actually feels the same from the standpoint of people's sensitivities towards religion uh, and your observations from a standpoint of, of Roman Catholicism, I think are right. Uh, so you have, the, it's kind of like a burnt over district with the, the priestly scandal and, yeah. and then the secularism paved nicely over the top of it. That's just being pressed deeply, more deeply into it. Yeah. You really have uh, a parking lot of apostasy and, you know, just, animosity towards God. Uh, so it's been a long time since people in the area uh, would would have a familiarity with and an openness to to God. Uh, so I think that's that's broadly speaking, whether you're in rural Vermont or you're in uh, Metro Boston, I think you get the same the same dynamic. Um, you know, as you experienced living here, um, even within, you know, the different states, there's, you know, like the, the old border skirmishes that, that occur and different people. <laughs> you know, don't, don't appreciate one area or another. And people, you know, Massachusetts tends to look down their nose or whatever. And Boston, you know, doesn't really acknowledge much outside of a, an immediate area, right? It's all these different stereotypes, but as a whole, I mean, you have this massive area that's largely rural with uh, a few cities basically sprinkled across like the state of Massachusetts, you have about 8 million people, but six and a half million are in the the, the, the greater Boston area. And right. there's only 600,000 people in Boston. I mean, it's a small town for, from the standpoint of a city. It's a small area. So you just have all of these different pockets from very rural to very urban. And, and it just varies across. But the one thing that really does is a common theme throughout is there's not, a, not very religious, whether you're in um, up, upper northern kingdom of Vermont or you're doing... In Providence, Rhode Island, it's all the same. There is a there's a, there's a lack of people that follow God. You would find people on the whether you're in the ocean, the boats are in the in the water on Sunday, or on the park walking, or on the bikes trailing, or the brunches are full, but the communion table is empty. I mean, that's the reality here. Um, churches are turning into condominiums left and right, and that's just the culture. And it's really, I mean, it's sad if we didn't believe that the gospel was powerful to save, and that God was doing work and He is He's honoring His word. 
uh, we'd be really depressed, but we're, th- we're grateful that God is, is doing good work. Yeah. You, you really do have that kind of, um, per, you know, permeation of, of churchlessness also. So, I mean, you know, when we would go from Vermont to, um, say, you know, Maine for, you know, we do a, a family vacation in this little, you know, lobster village of every week, late summer when we were there. And, there really is no driving through an area that is, you know, oh, here are a lot of churches or you know, no. just more, you know, the, the churches of New England are uh, the Dunkin' Donuts. I think there's a Dunkin' Donuts on just like there's a church on every corner in Alabama and Tennessee or whatever. There's a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner in <laughs> in New England that you can see the places of worship, uh, you know, that way. Um, and, you know, but what I discovered um you know, at least in my context, was you had kind of a range of folks who were either um, apathetic about about religion or apathetic. They weren't necessarily, you know, antagonistic, just sort of apathetic. And and then that ranged to people who were openly hostile. And those tended to be different kinds of people in themselves as well. There really wasn't like one kind of unchurched or one kind of lost person, at least that I encountered. And it really required kind of a range of, mm-hmm. of um, I don't know, apologetic or evangelistic approaches as well. Um, in, in your context, in your specific context, why, why is it hard or, you know, maybe that's not the right word, but why is it challenging? What is most needed to reach people with the gospel where you are in the Boston Metro? Yeah, I mean, so I think that's right. Again, your observations, I think, are right. Different contexts of different um, different inherent challenges. Um, I think to answer your last question, and then maybe push back, push onto some of some of the other things related to it. I think, you know, patience, compassion, yeah. prayer, perseverance, confidence in the gospel. I mean, I think those are the things that we need. Um, do we believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation? Yes. Okay. So what are you going to do about it? Well, you got, you got to tell people about it. Okay. Do we understand that, th- that even like built into the, the DNA of the gospel mission is rejection. Just read through Acts and you see Paul, even at the end of Acts and Acts 28, I mean, he's dealing with rejection. It's part of the deal. So what do you do? You just keep going. You got to be patient and you got to endure and you got to be faithful and so you know that that's part of the whole scenario. Um, I would say that where we are, the, you know, the kind of ambivalence is, I don't run into that a lot. Uh, the two extremes that I've seen, or two sides that I, I run into most would be looking at the message that we believe in the, the, the whole system of ethics found in the Bible, the moral code of the Bible, uh, what the Bible says about morality and authority, and especially the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. That is dangerous, it's threatening, and it's it's hateful, and it's dangerous to us. So mm-hmm. that category, um, people, aren't, people don't mind telling you that. The other side of it would be, um, especially with the Roman Catholic priestly scandal issue, the number of people that I talk to that have gone through that or have family connected to that or have been burned in some way that are actually really hurting because of that is significant. So not only the eyes of like skepticism on one side, but then there's skepticism and pain on the other side related to abuse. And I just think that just makes it really difficult. Add to that the secularism again. And I think you got a real, 
you got to be um, somewhat dexterous in your um, ways of trying to apply and listen to people. Where's the brokenness? Where's the where are the apologetic sidebars coming from? What is the resistance? And then try to carefully um, apply the gospel. So that's why I think another need that we would have would be people that are clear on the gospel, that understand it deeply and have a real strong compassion for people like Jesus when he looked out on the sheep without a shepherd and he, he had compassion on them. In, uh, in Matthew 9. So I think that that's, those are some things that are certainly needed in some of the challenges that we have. Who, who have you found, Eric, has been you know, most open to the gospel? Where have you had the best sort of inroads for, for gospel conversations? Yeah, I think people that you're able to meet in a shared space. So if you're coaching like a coach baseball, it's a great opportunity there in our okay. neighborhood just to talk with people. Um, you know, it's, it's not real common. Uh, I'm sure it was like this in Vermont too. You're not, you probably weren't getting like a load of dinner invitations from unbelievers to come over. Like, <laughs> right. Not really doing that. It's a family and that's about it. And uh, so if you could be, you know, rooted in a community, get to know people, talk to them. And, um, you know, I think that's, that, that's been the space for carving out conversations with people um, that I've, that I found the best. Uh, and even, you know, just kind of being persistent in our community here in Watertown, you know, where people will come check us out, you know, come in and then not talk to anybody. And then a month later begin asking questions. So we've had that, you know, even experienced that recently where there's some openness, but nobody's, nobody's opening up, you know, and so you just, it's just going to take time. I mean, New Englanders are like the clams, right? It just takes forever to get them open. They just yeah. buried in. And so it just takes time and being, you know, praying, praying it open and being persistent and loving them. Yeah. I, I you know, I, you know, if we had to kind of paint again with a broad brush, I think, you know, New Englanders generally tend to be more reserved or maybe, maybe not reserved is the word, but maybe more private or a, it's a more introverted kind of culture. And along with that comes a kind of, in in many places sort of a sense of of you know closed offedness and um a skepticism or a scrutiny of outsiders yeah. i you know i wonder did has has your being a, a native um has that helped at all or do you feel like well you're gone so long that that hasn't benefited you or <laughs> i mean well, you got the accent working for you you know at least <laughs> i think i you know i don't so it's different in some ways, depends where you are, because, you know, in, in where we are, basically Boston, you have, it's such a high transient people from all over transplants from all over the world. Okay. Right. So that's a little bit different than some of the, the towns around that would be really, you know, townies, people that grew up here and haven't left. So yeah. In, in conversations and relationships with, you know, some people, it's certainly beneficial to be, to be from here. It doesn't hurt for sure. And then if you're talking to people um, from around the world, I mean, it's just you're, you're just listening for the, you know, the brokenness or, you know, the, the incomplete narratives of salvation and trying to help people and interact there. So uh, where we are in our community, it's just, you know, we're right, you know, about three miles down the road from Harvard. There's just a lot of universities around us. And it's just a, a community where there's a lot of people from all over the world. Uh, so our church, we have 85 members and we have. 20 different nations of origin, like the, of those 85, 20 different countries represented among the 85. Um, so it's just a very diverse community. So most of the people of our membership aren't born in, in, in Boston, you know, a number of them are, but not 
not all of them. So you have a you have challenges inherent in that as well with the transient community and people coming from around the world. But but certainly as you talk to people from the area, as you move out into some of the towns around, yeah, I think it's it's helpful to make connections there from small talk and telling stories and connecting with the area for sure. Yeah, I think this ties into what you mentioned earlier, just in sense of you, you need you need a, a patience and a perseverance. Um, be you know n- not only because of any kind of uh, ambivalence or hostility to the faith, but because of that sort of close offedness, like you don't, you know, if if someone's coming from the outside, especially, and and they're moving in, and and they want to have fruitful gospel ministry, you have to think of you know, the long, the long-term plan. It, it's not like showing up, putting a, a sign on, on your door, you know, is going to have people, you know, eager to talk to you about, <laughs> about faith right. and, and, and Christianity and to even get to the point of relationships with people where you can begin to have these conversations takes time because uh, you have the double skepticism of, of the religious component and the, the outsider Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, component as well. I, I, you know, the the makeup of the area that I was in tended to be pretty. I mean, there was a range, but you could almost, you know, put folks in two different categories. And one was the native Vermonter who maybe was, you know, fourth generation or something, or or just who had been there for a while, and you know, blue collar, um, you know, uh, non college. Uh, you know, working their family farm or just a tradesperson of some kind and the whole culture that goes with that. And then the other category would be the transplants from somewhere else in the Northeast, um, perhaps elsewhere in New England, but sometimes from New, uh, from New York and, and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, very educated, very wealthy. Usually uh, they tended to, you know, buy hobby farms or or have things going on. And, um, and I, I found it's almost like two different people groups. There was some commonality. They all love the outdoors and all that kind of thing. And they tended to be unchurched, but I found it, you know, having gospel conversations was easier with the natives than the transplants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of kind of post more, you know, you know, analysis on why that would be. And I, and I just think it's because the gospel is for those who realize their need, people who have a shorter route from their resources <laughs> to their to their their pain or they tend to be more open than those who you know don't most keenly feel their need which tend to be the you know those with a lot of money and and a lot of means and those sorts of things. Uh, you know I don't know if your experience is is similar um the intellectual, wealthy, liberal types are—they're they're harder nuts to crack, I, I think, aren't they? Maybe, maybe uh, just in big swaths. But the Lord does, you know. Oh, for sure. Right, there's different, there's different um, scenarios. It's you know, if people can insulate their their pain and their brokenness, and uh, with all kinds of things, and you know, as as that insulation proves to be um, not working. Yeah, you become more open to other things outside. So I, I would agree with that. Ten, as a broad brush, I would say that's true. Yeah. Um, let's transition just to talk a, a little bit about the need as you see it, right? I mean, the last time we met, you were in town uh, for an event, and uh, w- we met for a little bit and talked about 
you know, you just have this, um, you know, burning desire for the area that 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 the Lord would send workers, um, you know, to the mission field there. And I wonder if you could kind of, in a sense, echo or recreate that appeal a little bit. Give us a sense yeah. of the of the need in in New England. Yeah, some of, some of the, you know, the issues of what why it's important. You know, you've you've already hit on. So just, you know, underline them. But the, obviously, the spiritual climate up here, it, the spiritual climate all over the country needs workers and need people. Obviously, but I just think uh, from a stewardship standpoint, as people that live in America, um, this is an area that was reached and is now technically, by missiologist missiologist standpoint um, framework, now to be unreached as less than two percent. Uh, evangelical church attendance. That's that's substantial, and I think just from a gospel stewardship standpoint, unacceptable. And so there are lots of resources and people all over the country that have the opportunity to do good work in their area, but if they look around at the rest of the country and the body of Christ, I would say that New England is, in particular, is really in need. Um, and so I think just having this on the dashboard is is important. And some of the reasons why it's particularly um, difficult for us up here, in addition to what you've already mentioned, uh, the cost of living is is ridiculous. So, right. um, you know, the, Boston would be, I think, the last time I saw seventh most expensive city in the world. The cost of living is just out of control. So that's a challenge to get people, um, you know, if you want to train people, you got to find a place to, to live and stay. And uh, housing is ridiculous. And then just the cost of living. So we have to, we can't, I mean, we raise money to support our own budget as a church uh, to do what we want to do and to plant uh, plant churches. So we need help from churches outside. We also need workers, right? So we need people from a leadership standpoint that would want to come up to the area um, and do it for a season of training and then potentially go out and serve, whether church planning or revitalization or s- serve on a staff, um, or even people that are church members that might want to move and move to the area. I mean, if you if you work a job, you more than likely can do it in Boston. I mean, you can do anything up here. Um, so if you have a chance to transfer and come up here and work, you could bless a congregation by being a faithful church member and be a, you know, a long-term type member in the church. And that's a mission category that I don't think a lot of people have. They might think of, you know, what, how could they be missionaries? Well, they could cross a cultural, cultural line and come up here and serve in our context, be good faithful church members or go out on a plant team to plant a church or to serve in a revitalization. And that would be awesome. You're talking about these revitalizations that have, you know, six people in them. I mean, you, you put a couple of solid families around a new pastor and you got yourself a good core group. Uh, so it's just vital. Um, so those are some of the, some of the big areas of need and, you know, the challenges of the, the financial aspect and the spiritual aspect, which we've already talked about uh, and just the, the dearth of churches. Uh, if you have a church building in our area, um, and there's people meeting in it, 99% of them do not have the gospel in it. Uh, most of the church buildings are being turned into condominiums, and um, the churches that I'm meeting uh, have abandoned the gospel a long time ago. And so there's a real need uh, for people to plant and revitalize churches to reach people in this particular area. And there's an actual interesting, I would say, uh, opportunity that we have now, uh, because more and more people are reaching out with need for pulpit supply, or they just don't have a pastor and they're looking for help. So they call someone like us or our friends' churches and they say they need someone to come in. And we have the ability to send somebody in there to preach. And eventually, as we've seen, half a dozen churches around the area 
these churches will call them to be the pastor. Now you have this built-in revitalization opportunity to go in there. They have a building, an old building, small congregation, and begin doing ministry. It's a, it's a, it's a very efficient way to try to recover a gospel in a church that's lost it a long time ago. And many of these churches are true pluralists in their thinking, and so they're fine. They're, they're okay with you preaching the gospel because they, you know, they're, they're fine with it. <laughs> and so I'm just happy to have the heat on and the lights on and new people in it. So that's another opportunity, but I don't. I think these these buildings are getting snatched up by the condominiums, the developers. So I don't, ten or fifteen years. I don't know how many of these opportunities are going to be there, and you don't have anywhere you can build a building because there's no land. So when we're talking about these urban centers uh, in a place like Boston, uh, the the time is now, and so I, I do think it's an urgent time. Uh, I think it's it's a real need. So from a stewardship standpoint of just the opportunity. And the need, I just think people need to look hard at New England, especially at Boston. Yeah. So if someone is prayerfully considering this, if their interest is somewhat peaked, what should they do? Where should they go to find out more information or to, or, or to learn more? Yeah. So we're not we're not the only church trying to do this. We have, we're connected with a lot of friends um, in the area. So we can we can try to point people in the right direction. We're glad to help here. But if you go to redeemaboston.com and just hit the contact us button that email will come in and we'll we'll get in touch with you so that would be the easiest that's a church website redeemaboston.com um and just send a note and we'd be happy to answer questions and and try to try to connect so um yeah i've written stuff in the past and gotten some you know responses from people and it'd been great you know responses people eager to come and what we just basically do is we send a questionnaire begin a conversation and then see if it might be an opportunity and a good fit to come up here or um knowing of the work that's going on in the area we might direct you to another church in another context where you could go and might be a better fit but we're just we're just happy to see more workers that are eager to see the gospel move forward up here yeah and there's an increasing number of opportunities in in the entire region i mean there's there's nets, you know, which is based in Vermont, and there's there's other things in in in, in different areas. Certainly, X29 is up there, and yeah. there's there's uh, TGC New England, and 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 things as well. So, um, you know, there's there's not as many opportunities and avenues as there are in more churched areas, but there's an increasing number. And so, if anyone is interested uh, of just kind of you know seeing what's out there, maybe you know you're a, a seminary student or a young. Um, young Christian, young couple, young family, and and you're trying to think, you know, um, maybe the Lord is calling you into a kind of home-based mission work. Um, as Eric laid out, there's there's you know different ways to look at that, different facets of that effort, um, and there may be you know some avenues by which the Lord is calling you to New England, a place of very great need. Brother, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's it's always it's always a blast talking with you. Yeah, same here, Jared. Appreciate the opportunity to chat with you again, and uh, always love chopping it up about New England. And uh, we didn't even talk about the Patriots. How was this? Ah, uh, no, number one seed right now, man. Well, when this comes out, we'll know who's in the Super Bowl. So let's just predict right now it's going to be a Bucks Patriots Super Bowl. I would not be disappointed with that. <laughs> I actually predicted this uh, last year. I said um, that the uh, the the Bucks were going to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I did that weeks ahead of time, and it happened. So let's just speak truth into existence, like Joel Osteen or something. There you go. That's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> On that note of heresy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Thank you. 
Thank you, dear listener, for listening to the podcast. As always, if you enjoy it, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.